Welcome back to Between the Turnbuckles. Now we've got a very big, big show lined up for us today. We've got last week's Smackdown, NXT TakeOver in your house, this week's Raw, and this past week's NXT and AEW. I've decided just to do the one podcast a week because it is quite a lot of wrestling to watch, and to be honest, it's quite a lot of free time to give up, if I'm being perfectly honest, but it'd be better just to get it all in the one show so as always we're going to start straight in with the rumors now based on the kind of recent not really recent certainly since her debut all the kind of reckless behavior that she's been having we're talking obviously about one Nia Jax um currently there's a rumor going about that Nia Jax is close to getting her books which means that she is maybe going to be getting fired um if she doesn't Stop being so reckless. She recently injured Kyrie Sane on an episode of Raw. Um, it's not the first person she's injured. She's actually quite um, known for it, to be honest. And I'm going to be perfectly blunt. I don't think she's that amazing of a talent that if they fired her, it's a, it's a worry for her to go anywhere else. I'm sure she would go somewhere else, but I, d- I don't think it's a big worry, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> I personally wouldn't wouldn't miss her too much. Um I think, obviously, I know she's got that match with Asuka coming up, so at Backlash this Sunday, so we'll just need to kind of see from that perspective how she does and whether or not she's reckless or if she's going to play it safe for once. Um, looking past Backlash and past Extreme Rules, we're talking SummerSlam, and certainly based on any recent things, we're talking Undertaker. So, The Undertaker is apparently set to wrestle this year at SummerSlam. Um, his opponent's set to be AJ Styles, which leads many to believe that in tonight's Intercontinental Championship decider, that Taker is going to have some involvement and maybe, not even maybe be there, but maybe just cost AJ the Intercontinental title, giving Daniel Bryan the win. Because um, everything in, in the UK is starting to kind of get relaxed a bit more, so there was rumours that the NXT UK tapings were going to start um, very soon. Um, they've all been cancelled um, based on, I don't really know what it's based on, they've just been cancelled and there might be another few months before NXT UK starts taping again. Uh, Charlotte Flair, so this is a woman who's certainly um, quite big in the industry right now, um, certainly maybe the best they've got at the minute I would say. Uh, so there's just a, a lot of talk about Basically, mostly from fans kind of giving heat to say that we don't need to see Charlotte on every episode um, of every brand. Um, but basically, with, from what the rumour kind of seems that with Becky now being out um, with her pregnancy and stuff, um, the thing about the pregnancy is is that, yeah, she's going to be pregnant for nine months, but then she does get her maternity leave as well. And then from there... Uh, so we might not, I personally don't think we're going to see Becky until maybe 2022, maybe that kind of time period, I could be wrong, but we'll see, um, Charlotte's basically going to be filling Becky's boots, I personally am not going to be too surprised if we see Charlotte win her 11th women's title at SummerSlam from Asuka, I wouldn't be too surprised to see that, uh, fans have actually started a petition online to stop Charlotte Flair from winning any more titles at the moment, which I think is ridiculous eh, because, yeah, I get it. She's won a lot of titles in the past, I mean, six years. So really her big run started in 2014, really after Paige moved up. She won the, the NXT women's title and from there, I mean, there's not been a year that Charlotte's not been a champion. 
really. It's it's not not happened yet. So I, I don't think that'll change in any way. Flair, I mean, Flair is destined to be that woman that's the the 16-time women's champion. Uh, but I was watching like Ric Flair's WWE 24, and we're talking like um, he sees her as better than him in the ring, which I think is true in some ways. But um, like it's all about her not being in his shadow, and she's not. I personally don't think she is. But the way to kind of stop that from happening is to not have her match her daddy's record. Like I don't think that needs to happen. Um. Really, I think I spoke about this last time when, when I announced uh, the Strowman versus Miz and Morrison match at Backlash for the Universal title. Uh, Bray Wyatt is set to be at Backlash, um, probably with The Fiend this time, as The Fiend to get the Strowman-Fiend uh, feud back on track. It might not happen, but he's not been seen on TV since Money in the Bank. So it'll be weird to see... And he's not like pointing in the direction of a new feud, so I don't think this handicap match will be on for very long. Hopefully not, um, but we'll we'll see. Uh, Jinder Mahal, for anyone who doesn't know, recently returned from a knee injury. Unfortunately, has sustained another knee injury, so is out again. I think he had two matches on his return and is injured again, so he's now uh, due for surgery. Um, sometime soon. Uh, the Velveteen Dream was actually scheduled from NXT to move, make his move from NXT to SmackDown, but then the decision to move Matt Riddle up instead. Um, I believe this could be kind of the backfire a little bit from maybe what's kind of leaked online that he was supposedly sending his junk to um, teenage girls and stuff like that. People are in school, so whether or not that's true or not, again, don't want to comment on it, but that that's maybe the reason that he's not moving up and the decision to move Matt Riddle up was made. Um, speaking of Matt Riddle, um, he's got a lot of heat on him, particularly from two big part-timers in Goldberg and Brock Lesnar this time as well. So we all know about the kind of Goldberg-Matt Riddle thing. Gold, like Matt Riddle's always taking the mick out of Goldberg based on, especially based on like the Taker match. Um, if you watch, there's a, there's a documentary on, I don't know, which where it was, I think I don't know if it was on the day on the day of or something like that, but Riddle actually met Lesnar Goldberg backstage and Goldberg told him he needs to stop. Um which kinda led to the belief that maybe it was gonna be a, a wee bit of a scrap. Uh, Lesnar and Goldberg think that Matt Riddle's out to make his own business. Matt Riddle's came out and said that that's not the case and he's not meaning to disrespect anyone and he'll happily prove to them that it's not disrespectful. Um Randy Orton recently was asked his opinion of NXT, so for anyone who doesn't know, kind of more so in the past year, Randy Orton really tried to take on the mentor role, he's realised he's at that kind of age where, yeah, he's still at the top of his game, he's still one of the best in the world right now to do it, but he is starting to take on that like more mentor role, so he was he's watching actually a lot more NXT. Um, he made a tweet. Uh, about in your house talking about like knee slaps so obviously referring to super kicks cause I mean Johnny Gargano I will cover that Gargano did hit about three or four maybe five super kicks to Keith Lee and then that's that's just the Gargano match so we are talking about that uh, which I don't think is incorrect Champa's response was about out there he said um, oh, anytime I have my uh, my daughter having trouble sleeping I just throw on a Randy Orton match which is really disrespectful 
Like Randy Orton is is easily one of the goats. Um, like to ever do it, I would I would say he's maybe like the best technical, maybe kind of technical. I'd say he's definitely one of the best to do it right now. Um, and certainly has been on top for like almost two decades now. So I think that was a bit disrespectful. Um, Orton did reply. Um, with something then made another knee slaps reference um, but I, I don't really remember the tweet and I don't have it to hand because I can't find it anymore for some reason so I think maybe it's been pulled down or not but uh, backstage uh, Vince isn't happy about the, the argument that they're ha- they've had on, on social media uh, Backlash, so this is obviously this Sunday the Edge and Randy Orton match has been pre-taped apparently and that's so that they can make it the best to make it live up to the greatest match of all time. Now, stuff like this this kind of annoys me because I don't think these two needed to have a pre-taped match. Like these two can go out and have the best match, potentially the best match of all time, easily. And my good pal Dave Meltzer will not rate it because it's pre-taped. As far as where the rest of the show is going to be live, but he's he's not going to rate that match. I will because I will. But um. I don't think it needed to be pre-taped. Uh, we're still kind of on Randy Orton. Uh, AEW star Dustin Rhodes uh, made comments and he said that the two smoothest people that he's ever worked with in the ring is Barry Windham, which is Bray Wyatt's dad, and Randy Orton. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of information about the Hall of Fame, but not about this year's Hall of Fame, about future Hall of Fames that's coming out right now uh, for some reason. So, um, big rumours saying that Evolution as a stable are going to go into the Hall of Fame this year. Um, there was a rumour that said that Vince wasn't too comfortable for some reason with X-Pac being the quickest guy to be a two-time Hall of Famer. So he wants Batista to do it. Uh, and it also takes the attention off of the fact that he's a two-time Hall of Famer and puts the attention on Ric Flair being a three-time Hall of Famer. Um, this was also, if you watched Ric Flair on the Austin uh, Broken Skull sessions, Flair did say that he fully expects Evolution to go into the Hall of Fame and that they can't not, but he didn't know if he'd be alive for it. Uh, well, supposedly, it's, it's going to be happening soon which would make Randy Orton one of the limited people to ever be inducted into the Hall of Fame and still be full... Actually, I think he'll be the only person who's full-time active um, to be put in. And I know he takes some breaks and stuff, and he doesn't. he's got a lighter schedule, but he does still work full-time. It's not like uh, Lesnar, who shows up every six months, like he is there quite a lot. Um, that also then led to a weird a, a list of... Um, potential three-time Hall of Famers that they expect to have in the Hall of Fame and like to be inducted a three times so if we've got Evolution so that's a Flair and Triple H so Flair will be a three-time Triple H still needs to get inducted himself just as Triple H so that that'll be three because you've got DX and Evolution Shawn Michaels is meant to be going in a third time as the Rockers with Matty Jannetty at some point um, somehow they're pulling Edge together, Edge is on the list, so I know that they're probably going to put Edge and Christian in but then the question is, are they going to put Christian in separately as well, or are they just going to do it that way, and there's a rumour that Rated RKO are going to be going in eh, which would also make Orton on the list for three time because he'll need to get inducted personally as well, and then the other two are Nash and Hall as the Outsiders even though the Outsiders was part of the NWO, so I'm not fully understanding all of this, but 
for me, there should only be the three men ever to get inducted three times, and it's going to be Rick H and HBK. That's it. Triple H, Ric Flair, HBK. There's no reason to induct anyone else three times. Those, I mean, if you're talking your top four wrestlers of all time, that's three of four, and Taker's not going to be able to get inducted three times. Him, I mean, he'll get inducted as himself, and if you're lucky, he'll get inducted as Brothers of Destruction. I don't see him getting inducted any other way. Brings me straight on to Taker's uh, Hall of Fame induction. So the rumour is that the Hall of Fame for Taker is going to take place in 2022. And that he is going to be the only inductee of that class. So he's going to be the only person inducted that year. Which is a massive deal. That's a big show of respect there. Uh, all things considered. I mean there's some probably some guys out there who could have had that. Like Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels and maybe a couple more. But. Um, there's not really been anyone like Taker um, and the only other rumour about it is that maybe on the night it will be Cena and Taker, just the two of them but um, I would say Cena's Hall of Fame will be will be due shortly um, This only came out like a couple hours ago from what I've seen so Paul Heyman has been re- removed from the uh, director of Raw Creative and been told uh, basically that he's going to focus more on his in-ring work, which tells me that, I mean, we're heading into SummerSlam, Brock Lesnar's going to be back any any day now, probably. Um, so I would expect to see Lesnar, maybe not after Backlash, but certainly after Extreme Rules. But if they're removing him this early, it's probably because the creative team has to get ready for Lesnar's match, whatever it may be. Um I don't want it to be a title match. I would actually quite like to see him feud with someone that's not a title. Like um, Lashley or Bray Wyatt if he's not the champion. Someone like that. Okay, so we'll jump straight into last week's Smackdown. And last week's Smackdown was rather good. I thoroughly enjoyed it actually, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, from from start to finish. Um, so... Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, two weeks ago they had this awful, awful angle where like Jeff Hardy was um, apparently ran over Elias because he was drink driving and all that. And it's just for me, it's just one of those storylines that hits a little too, it's a little bit too thin on the cuff, if, if you know what I mean. It's just like that. That's a guy's literally he has the personal problems. Yeah, we need to address it and everything like that, but I don't think we should be using it as an actual story and all that. I like I physically, physically hate a storyline like this. Because it's not as if he's just had problems, he's had multiple problems, he's been in jail, he's been arrested more times than I've had hot dinners this week. Like, I just, I, I, don't, I don't like it. Um, so we kind of restart with the recap, talking about that. Um, and then Seamus and Daniel Bryan, and as I said, after Hardy beat Seamus for the IC kind of qualifying uh, the first round, uh, I said that the, the Hardy-Sheamus feud isn't over, and it's not because we've got a match this Sunday with them at Backlash, so we'll just need to see what happens there. But Jeff Hardy opens, um, he says that Elias, so the only reason that I can see that Elias has been run over is based on the fact that he has torn his pectoral muscle, so not long returning from an injury, and he's now injured again, awaiting surgery, so that that's why it was Elias that was chosen to be run over. So Jeff comes out, he's talking about how last week we went into something awful, uh, the show went into chaos, um, and Elias walked away with some injuries, but could have been worse, he could have been killed. 
He said, Jeff pulls. Jeff says, so he pulled up to the parking lot and was attacked from behind. It was like an anvil hitting him. And then someone poured alcohol all over him. He said he doesn't want to go back to that dark place. Um, and how many more times can he, like, so he went home and his kids and all that. And he's like, how many times can I beg my kids for forgiveness and that? I just feel like this is, this is why I don't like it. It's just too, too personal. Um... Jeff said he knew he didn't slip last week and that witnesses came at the station and said no, it was a man with red hair and a red beard. Duh. Um, Jeff then came back to Smackdown obviously to get Seamus and now it's personal. Yeah, as if it wasn't personal to begin with. Seamus then interrupts, he says, uh, not to point fingers and blame someone else because that's what he's done his whole entire career and that he always has an excuse. Uh, the fans lied to Jeff, uh, lied to the cops on behalf of Jeff and that they are nothing but enablers of his addictions. Uh, tells Jeff to man up and accept his responsibility and that he'll never ever do that because he's he's a joke. Um, he then leaves with the final punchline of uh, don't worry about your wife and kids because uh, they're used to it by now so it'll be easily forgiven for them obviously Jeff at this point loses the kind of temper and goes after him uh, Seamus beats the hell out of Jeff so he broke kicks him and then smashes him into the kind of plexiglass glass where the NXT guys are sitting um, and that kind of gets left there he leaves Jeff lying so on to uh, Otis and Mandy are walking backstage. They find uh, Baron Corbin's crown and cloak and he decides to put the crown on because conveniently they've got a match coming up. Cuts back uh, from Cole and Graves make a few comments. Cuts back to Baron Corbin who is furious. But it's all good because they conveniently have their match coming up. So we get a re uh, recap of the Otis Mandy's last like their pool party thing. And then we have the the match um so otis comes out and i have to say it might be really bad to say um i know people are otis fans i'm not a personal fan of otis's singles push but he really did suit the king of the ring crown that like that that if like otis could maybe be king of the ring actually like it kind of suited him a wee bit uh, so it starts physical otis takes an early advantage because the bigger guy corbin sends otis into the apron and at the ring post on the outside uh, Back in the ring, he hits him with a massive spine buster. Um, and Corbin starts using his boxing experience with like body blows and head punches. Puts him in a sleeper hole, which Otis reverses. He keeps kicking Otis in the gut, but Otis starts to kind of fire up. Uh, Corbin rolls out while he's... Uh, and he's like looking for his... like So Otis is looking for the caterpillar. He rolls out to go and get his crown. And uh, hits uh, Otis in the gut with a chair. Gets the DQ. And post-match, Otis hits a, a caterpillar on him, so he, he fights back on the chair and then caterpillars him. Uh, it was a fairly average match. It was all right. It's not. It's not. I mean, I've been quite enjoying the work of Baron Corbin recently, but I've not enjoyed that. So uh, that was a, a, a middle two and a half out of five on that. Uh, we cut backstage, and it's Miz and Morrison in the parking lot, in the parking lot, in the car park, uh, and like a stakeout FBI white van uh, they're waiting for Braun to arrive and parks his car um, and then they kind of address us at home says that all of the co-workers say that they are idiots and that they're going to lose the match um, and that Strowman shouldn't have showed up to work without a care in the world because that's going to change uh, by the time they get to Backlash his life will be a living hell as they promised cuts to Strowman and Catering and he pours water into his protein powder bottle and it just sort of it's like putting a 
like a, a, a mental in, in a bottle of coke. It just exploded all over him. Um, and then they cracked on this. I can't believe I laughed at this, but they cracked the joke like, oh, get these hands more like wash these hands. I don't know why. It's not funny. I'm not laughing now, but it, it made me laugh at the time. Uh, we get an interview with uh, Shorty G. Um, starts talking about how he was, uh, like how he returned last week and like got the upset victory. Um, Mojo Raleigh cuts in and sort of makes a lot of short jokes. We're bored of that. Cesaro and Nakamura um, attack him from behind and then the New Day make the save. So um, the only thing it's kind of makes me see about this is that. Short, so Shorty G's back, so if he's back, it doesn't really make sense for him to be the hacker now. If he's back. Because obviously the rumour being that he was one of the hackers, so... I mean, I'm still hoping that it's Punk and AJ, but that's just me. Up next, we get a, a, a rematch from uh, last week's uh, dodgy finish. So we have Sonya Deville versus Lacey Evans. Um, this was fantastic. This was match of the night. I, this was... Like, this was just a really, really enjoyable fight. Like, because that's the only thing I can describe it as, was just a fight. Um, so we're starting the match. Sonya attacks Evans during her entrance. Uh, we come back from break, and we're starting. I'm just going to take this time to say that Sonya Deville should be a women's champion ASAP, like, as soon as possible. As soon as the bookings there, like, put her straight in for it. Like, every day of the week. Um, it's a proper scrap at the start. Back and forth. Sonya's still kind of trash talking uh, Mandy and all blondes. I'm so offended because I'm blonde. Um, but the only thing is, is that that's how the feud started. That's the only thing that's kind of getting me is that's how this wee feud started because she made a dig at blondes. And Lacey was like, hey, well, I'm blonde, so let's let's fight. Like, then we need a bit more creative than that. Uh, Sonya now takes uh, over control. She's like a proper modern, like a really, a really good heel. Like, she's doing really good as a heel. Um, Evans then kind of starts fighting back with some really harsh knees. Evans slingshots over the top rope and sends uh, Sonya into the ref. So she's going for the roll-up and the ref gets hurt. And we're back from break and then there's another ref in. But uh, I didn't know, I didn't really 100% look like it was meant to happen. But I think that's maybe just the acting done of it. But um, like uh, Sonya landed on his leg and... For some reason, his leg was broken at that point then. I don't know. Very strange. Um, uh, so, uh, Sonya's back in control at this point. She cheap-shotted during the break. Uh, when Evans tries to kind of get back into it um, and puts her in the corner and tries to walk away, Sonya grabs her by the hair and pulls her down. Hits her with a brutal, like, neck back breaker, shoulder breaker, I think, off of the apron onto her knee on the floor. Outside the ring, so that was like it looked like it really could have did some damage, um, and then stands on her neck, which is leaning against like the the ridge of the steel steps. Evans then has a big comeback. We get some more knees and kicks to Sonia, um, more massive big knees to the face. She hits that handstand turnbuckle Bronco Buster, which is a mouthful. Um, hits her middle rope moonsault for two. Big knee by Deville to kind of take back and control. Hits her with another running knee for two. Starts kind of showing her frustration. And then as she's maybe going to go for it again, Big Mandy Rose appears on the, the old Titan Tron to, to rekindle this feud that we thought were fin was finished, hopefully. But we're, we're going back to it. And 
Um, Andy on the screen says that she ain't hurting yet and that Sonia's a failure and Lacey hits her with probably the most brutal woman's right um, in a while. I think the last one I can think of that was that brutal was the one she hit Sasha with but um, and wins the match. So this was fantastic. Um, to, like Just to watch, it was such an enjoyable match. So it's four and a half out of five for me. Um, someone is going to get that five. Like it's going to happen. I know I technically gave a six but that, that was the Stampede match and that was just that was just too enjoyable. Um, up next, we have the, the usual Matt Riddle promo, just to say that he's coming to SmackDown, bro. Um, Braun Strowman has an interview uh, with Kayla, and uh, says Miz and Morrison are like two annoying bugs in summer, and he just has to slap them off his neck. Uh, Miz and Morrison are up to their shenanigans to pull a prank on Strowman, and this time it's like uh, a bucket of green slime, and they push the button, and it doesn't land on Strowman. It, it totally covers Kayla from head to toe in this luminous green slime. Um, Strowman's like, obviously they're kind of like, oh, oh apologising because it's kind of not really his fault, but oh, they're feuding with me, so it's my fault. So we seen sorry to her. And she just pulls her hair back and just bluntly puts out there those bastards, which is pretty legendary. Um, they did get Strowman a wee bit, but I mean, Kayla really took the blunt, the brunt of it. By getting Strowman, I mean like they got his shoe, which they celebrated. Went, oh yeah, we got someone his shoe, yeah. Oh man, yeah, yeah, woo. Um, Styles and Daniel Bryan's face off before their IC title match tonight. Um, Styles says he knows what Brian's going to say and that Styles a coward for taking the bye last week but um, had it not been for Hardy Sheamus would actually be the one standing there so he should have taken a bye Brian confirms that he thinks Styles had the tendencies of a coward but they both have different ways of thinking what a champion should be and that Styles has never been the champion um, and that's why he took the bye um, he says that he is the he, he's uh, Styles says that he's been the greatest champion WWE's ever seen. He says Brian is a, is noble, but what he's doing is stupid. Brian says um, he's trying to get under his skin. It's not working. Styles' vision of championship will defend sparringly against the only selected guys, um, and Styles won't be able to fathom anyone unexpected to beat him and shatter that dream. And that's why he's a coward. Brian says he wants to defend the title every week against anyone. Um, and that that's not noble, that's just that he wants to be the best he can be. Styles then, obviously, being the heel, says that sounds um, like he wants people to have handouts and that he believes in opportunity. And that how did uh, Gulak become coach or even get a job in WWE? Um, that that was all sounding like a handout. And that he will give a handout to Gulak right now uh, to come out and have a match with him and take an ass whipping. Gulak answers, and notably quite PO'd for being getting called basically saying that he shouldn't be working for WWE. Um, Gulak jumps Styles before the break. Um, back from break, the match actually starts. It's very physical and fast from the bell. Styles is in early control. Gulak fights back and does like a, a counters the leapfrog combination from Styles straight into some submissions. Styles does some nice heel shenanigans to gain control and drops Gulak with an STO backbreaker. Uh, Gulak hits a massive headbutt and runs into a lethal clothesline for his trouble. Styles, with his usual heel kind of working hole to get the face to be able to fight back into it. 
uh, but he quickly takes control again. Very back and forth in the kind of middle of the match, and then Gulak gets his massive comeback. It's a clothesline suplex combination. Uh, Gulak puts up for the electric chair, but Styles rakes his eyes. Styles shows off to Brian before going for the Styles Clash, so he deliberately turns to face um, Brian so that he can hit the Styles Clash, but Gulak grabs him by the heels, flips him over, rolls him up, and gets an upset victory. So Gulak wins. Uh, three out of five for that one. It was a, a surprising win. It was an okay match. Uh, back to Miz and Morrison with their dirty shenanigans again. Very juvenile. Uh, Miz and Morrison then beat up Braun Strowman's classic Buick Grand National car, and that is a beautiful car. Um, there must have been kind of something to like say, like don't touch the actual car. You can just smash the windscreen because the windscreen was the only thing that got it, um, and that they can't wait to see Braun's face. Um, six-man tag team match up next, which if anyone who knows me knows that I don't like six-man tag team matches, but this one was actually rather decent. Uh, New Day and Shorty G versus Cesaro, Nakamura and Mojo. Even Mojo was good in this match. Like Mojo had a, a good few moments in here. Um, and I, I don't think it was particularly awful. Uh, so Shorty G and Cesaro start the match. G goes for the overhead kick straight off the bat but gets caught by Cesaro. G reverses into a dragon screw. Uh, tags in Big E. Cesaro reverses um, Big E and Mojo gets tagged in. Big E in the, the heel corner and Nakamura's tagged in. So they're all just kind of beating on him. Big E quickly reverses, uh, reverses one of Nakamura's kick and hits belly to belly and then tags Kofi in. G then get this was just all madness at the start. It was like very quick tag. So Shorty G gets the quick tag. E with another quick tag. And then Kingston tags. And they do a, a double splash for two. Nakamura rolls to the outside and Kofi flies to take out Cesaro and appears to have hurt left knee. And Mojo bulldozes I mean bulldozes him um, into the, the actual LED board on the apron. Um, back from the break and Kofi being, uh, has been beaten up. And needs to make the tag. Mojo sent to the outside and gets back in and takes out E. Misses G and then Kofi fights back and tags in Shorty G. Um, who takes it to Mojo. Big throw by Cesaro. On Cesaro by G, sorry. Rolling kick and a neck breaker by Shorty G. Followed by a insult for two. Shorty G goes for finish and then Mojo looks to... Uh, like he, look, he looks for his uh, looks for his finisher but um, gets catched, caught in the ankle lock. Nakamura makes a save. Cesaro blindsides G uh, when the official is distracted. Shorty G kicks out of Mojo's finisher, the hyperdrive. Uh, Shorty G stops Mojo from tagging Cesaro and E uh, gets the, uh, and gets the tag. Uh, G gets caught in midair by Cesaro and Nakamura, but um, in the ring, uh, the new day hit the midnight hour, and G stops anyone from breaking it up, and the faces get away with the victory. It was quite an enjoyable match. Um, I'll give it a three and a half out of five. I thought it was. I thought it was okay. I thought it was quite decent. Um, as far as six-man tag matches go. Uh, back to the parking lot. Braun Strowman enters to see that his car has been smashed, um, and the security just sort of grasps Miz and Morrison in and say, "Yeah, that's where they are." Um, from there, Strowman just sort of says that the, you're dead men. And then he shakes the van, and in natural Braun Strowman fashion, because what else is he going to do? He flips the van with them still inside it. And Braun says, now that's funny. 
Here we get announcement that Hardy and Sheamus at Backlash is going to happen. And in the main event for the women's tag team titles, Blessing Cross versus Bailey and Sasha. Um, so this was a very, very good match, very back and forth. Um, kind of faces, the heels kind of obviously start off dominant, um, and then the faces kind of fight back. Um, towards the end of the match, uh, Banks um, kind of Bailey's been taken out, um, and Banks is looking for the tie, but Bailey's not there. Uh, Banks reverses the cross finisher, Nikki Cross's finisher, and a bank statement. But Bailey at that point decides to tag and does her own version of the, the bank statement and tells Sancha to get out. But Cross reverses and Cross uh, like takes out Bailey and is looking for the pin. Sasha's visibly annoyed. And Sasha makes a save but obviously is raging so drags Bailey back to the corner and tags in. Sasha hits a bank statement again and drags Bliss uh, and Bailey drags Bliss to the outside. Um, to the outside. Cross reverses the bank statement into a roll up but then Sasha counters her into one of her own and picks up the shock victory so we have a new women's tag team champions in Bailey and Sasha. Now I believe this has only happened because they're probably going to have a triple threat women's tag team match at Backlash or certainly at some point soon. And um, it just kind of delays the the inevitable Banks, Bailey, heel turn, face turn, whoever's turning face or heel on that. It just sort of holds that off for a bit until we get to that. Um, it was a big shock. The match itself was really good. I gave it a 4 out of 5. Much better performance and for terms of a tag team women's match that we've had recently. Um, Bailey's another first. She's the first person, first woman to hold the women's title and the tag team title at the same time, so that's another history moment for Bailey. Uh, the overall show, I thought it was really good SmackDown, I give it a 9 out of 10. Um, I actually watched it from start to finish. Um, sometimes I'll, like, I have a tendency to like, skip through some stuff, depending on how good or bad it is, but I, I actually kind of rather enjoyed that, so that, that that's why we're getting that rating. Um, anyway, on to last Sunday's NXT TakeOver In Your House. Um, the first ever NXT in your house, marking 25 years of in your house, but there we go. Um, this was a fantastic takeover. Like, as far as things go, this was bloody fantastic. So, uh, we opened the show with Shotzi Blackheart, Tegan Knox, and Mia Yim versus Candice LeRae, Raquel Gonzalez, and Dakota Kai. So Candice and Yim kind of start, but Larry tags in at Gonzalez. Gonzalez shows her strength, and Mia tries to ground, but is thrown into the corner, and Nock tags in to take her turn to try and chop down Gonzalez, but is dropped, um, and tags uh, Dakota Kai in. Nox uh, sneaks a quick, uh, tries to like sneak a quick win, but it's just a two count. There's then just a flurry of roll-ups, and Nox takes control with a big cent on it in the corner, and Blackheart then gets the tag. Uh, got lost in my notes there, sorry. Uh, aye, so Blackheart got the tag, so she then takes it to the apron, but um, Kai hits her with a scorpion kick. The heels now kind of take over, so Lorraine misses a senton, and Blackheart then takes back control. Gonzalez catches Blackheart's suicide dive and tosses her, and then Yim does one of her own and takes out Kai and Gonzalez. And Larry takes out Yim um, with a dive, and Blackheart 
It's a, it takes out Yim and Blackheart, sorry, with a springboard crossbody. Nox goes up top and takes out everyone, um, all five other women on the outside with a molly go round. Uh, Blackheart hits the Neora to Candice LeRae and puts um, the Angel Wing submission on and Kai breaks and Gonzalez drops Blackheart while the ref's distracted. Kai gets tagged in um, as Blackheart is down. The heels are firmly back in control here, but Kai misses her finish and almost takes out a teammate uh, by mistake. Blackheart comes back and Lorraine is tagged to stop momentum and Blackheart makes uh, makes a tag to Yim, who takes it straight to Candice Lorraine because they've got their own little feud going on. It's a beautiful dragon suplex for two. Um, Yim takes out Gonzalez. Yim and Lorraine... Um, are down. They then both end up down, and Gonzalez and Knox are legal. Knox can't get Gonzalez off her feet and tries for a Rana but gets power bombed for a trouble, which Mia Yim breaks up the cover for. Yim and Lurie then let their emotions boil over and start scrapping, taking it all the way to the back. So they're now no longer technically in the match. Um, Kai accidentally kicks Gonzalez in the face, and Knox hits the choke slam on Kai. Gonzalez um, is taken out and Knox picks up the win over Kai with the shiniest wizard. I think as far as an opening to a takeover, this was a good win. Um, I just think the wrong team won. I think it's Candice's first kind of, I know she wasn't technically in the finish, but it's her first takeover as a heel and she didn't win. Like I, I don't know, I just didn't like it very much. I know people are going to go, but Gargano didn't win. Spoiler, Gargano didn't win, but like Gargano's been a heel before. Whether it was for a short period of time or not, Gargano has been a heel before. This is the first time we're getting to see Candice Lurie as a heel. Throughout the show, we do get some like really funny. It's like got a funny like now like obviously in your house started in the nineties, so it's it's got that like funny nineties retro feel to it. So uh, we've got our William Regal giving out an advertisement for our, um, to quote CM Punk, <clears throat> our WWE Ice Cream Bars. So we've got the WWE Ice Cream Bars are official. Um, second match of the night is Finn Balor and Damian Priest. So uh, before the, I mean, Balor gets in the ring, before the bell even gets going, Balor goes straight after repeat, uh, Priest and Returns the favour on the knee. Because uh, Priest obviously took out Balor's knee on last in, on an episode of NXT. So he returns the favour. Takes Priest to the outside and Priest puts Balor into the steps. Priest takes control from there and is using the environment to his advantage. Balor side slammed onto the apron from the top of the steps. A massive forearm from Priest to follow and Balor fights back with forearms but gets caught in a leaping flatliner. Uh, Priest starts putting a big hurt on Balor, um, standard heel working hold, Balor breaks with a jawbreaker and the comeback is on from there. Um, Balor reverses Priest's suplex into one of his own and takes Priest back to the outside and starts really laying in the boots. Uh, Balor goes to fly but Priest is quickly in and drops him and hits uh, the broken arrow and goes for Razor's edge but Balor takes the legs out from under him and hits him with a double stomp. Uh, back and forth strikes from each man. Balor wins the exchange with an overhead kick. Uh, Balor reverses the choke slam into a roll up for two. Priest uh, rolls to the outside but leaps onto the apron. 
um, and hits a head kick on Balor, drags him back to the outside and into the barricade again. Priest then hits the razor's edge onto the actual apron, rolls him in, but Balor kicks out at two. Priest with two big leaping elbows in the corner and Balor with a sling blade on the third. Priest catches with two spinning head kicks eh, when Balor goes for his eh, drop kick in at the corner, but he catches him with two spinning head kicks, goes for the finish, but Balor reverses into a slam of his own. Following that, Balor hits with a drop kick into the corner, goes for the coup de grab, it is reversed into a choke slam off the top rope, which Balor kicks out at two. Both back on their feet, Priest drags Balor out to the apron and Balor tries to fight back, but Priest then eh, takes control and tries to do a razor's edge off the apron onto the steps that were lying below. Balor reverses that and sends Priest back first into the steps that were lying on the floor. Balor then hits the double stomp to the back of Priest's head and then, for good measure, finishes with the coup de grace for the win. Um, four out of five on this match. It was a fantastic match. Damien Priest is really making a believer out of me because I wasn't a big fan of Damien Priest, but then every time I watch him in a takeover match, I'm always just like, damn, he is good. Um, I don't know if it's just the character I don't like, but as a performer, he's absolutely fantastic. A little bit of history on this match actually as well. Uh, Balor has now got the most takeover wins of all time with 11. Nobody's won more at takeover than Finn Balor. To be fair, Finn Balor's only ever lost the one takeover match. And that was to Samoa Joe. Um, Balor and Priest kind of give each other respect after the match. So Balor does the guns and Priest does the bow and arrow. So there's a wee bit of mutual respect after it I suppose. Um, I believe anyway. That, that's how I interpreted all of that. And uh, we get some old school adverts again. Uh, up next is Keith Lee and Johnny Gargano for the North American title. Uh, Gargano starts in the house, or in your house, way, wow, and comes out and locks the door. This is the actual set we're talking about here. Takes a key and puts it in his trunks, which will be coming in handy later. Uh, Lee's coming into the match with a hand and eye injury from that the Gargano did to him. Um, so he used the key on his eye and smashed his hand in the steps. Uh, Lee starts off by just throwing Gargano about, throwing him off the headlock, and both men start showing their, their speed and skill, blocking any striking attacks or just making them miss. Lee drops Gargano with a massive shoulder block. Gargano tries the dive but gets caught. Um, and manages to squirm out one of the apron for a super kick, but it goes for the roll and sent on, gets caught again, and is hoisted up, and then goes after Keith Lee's injured eye. And he tries to go for the hand, but Lee moves from the steps, so he's trying to do the same thing, but he moves his hand, and Lee gives him that, that look, and it's that kind of like, oh, you done fucked up, kind of look that he gives him. Um, so Lee then starts taking it to Gargano. Gargano's trying to get in the house, uh, completely forgetting that he's got the key in his trunks. And Lee then sends him out at the door, hits him with a massive double-handed chop, and uh, puts him back in the ring. Back in the ring, Gargano stomps on the hand straight out, straight as soon as he's rolling in, and starts kind of going after the fingers. Uh, Lee tosses him off, but um, his, his left hand is hurt. Um, Gargano with a massive enziguri uh, to take control and he's still 
pretty much standing on his, so he stands on his hand, the injured one, and starts really working on the eye. Uh, he just sends punch. This is quite a, a unique theme throughout. He just really focuses on punching the hands, um, and poking the eye, standing on the hand, punching the eye as much as he can. Kind of has a wee Pete Dunne feel to it, where he's like always bending the hand back and stuff. Uh, Gargano go at some point after goes for a middle rope spear, but Lee just slams him right down and follows up with a backbreaker from Lee. Lee goes for the spirit bomb, but um, while he's trying it, Gargano twists his hand all out of shape to obviously stop that from happening. Um, and then um, drops Gargano with many forearms, so he then puts him down and then just really forearms the hell out of him. Goes for it a second time, but Gargano catches it in an armbar this time, and then starts really working on the fingers of Keith Lee. And when he hoists him up, he rolls over the top of him, puts him in a roll-up for two. The crowd are really, really awesome during this match. They're so invested in the actual match itself. Um, Lee tries for another finish, but uh, kind of Gargano, this is where all the super kicks start happening. So he hits him with a super kick. Um, and Lee hits a massive slam. Gargano again to the hand and hits a tope into a DDT on the outside, so he can't really get Keith Lee in the ring, so Gargano stops the ref from counting and rolls back out. As he does, Lee sends Gargano through the protective plexan glass with a pounce, like literally right through it. Uh, Lee follows him around into the crowd and drags him back into the ring. At this point, Candice LeRae comes out to get involved, but Mia Yim follows her straight out and takes her out. Uh, Lee uses the well, not Lee, sorry, I don't know why I wrote Lee there. Gargano then uses the key from his trunk and hits, uh, puts it in Keith Lee's other eye, so his good eye, and then hits the one final beat for two. Hits the DIY super kick for two. Again for another two. And then again for another two. Um, he stands on the hand again, but Lee just grabs him by the throat, hoists him up and hits the spirit bomb. Uh, Lee hits... A few other power bombs and then hits him with the big bang catastrophe for the win. Now I've given this a three and a half out of five. I don't think the match worked as well as I would have liked. The trouble is, um, with Gargano being a heel, it's really hard to like because because of his style originally, it's hard to not cheer for Gargano because he's so good. So I think he was trying something new there. I don't think it worked as well as it could have. I don't know if it was just because it was against the bigger man or whatever, but. And then I think Randy Orton kind of said it best um, that because he had that interview, obviously the knee slap references referring to this. They don't just like let everything rest. So Randy Orton kind of says it's always just like cool shit, cool shit, cool shit, cool shit, finish. So it's always just full of cool shit and that's great and all, but um, like you don't actually remember the cool shit that happens in the match because you're so focused on the fact that who won, which is... I think, yeah, I think I can understand the point to that. And I kind of feel like this match is a prime example because it was all very... I mean, and then I just... To the knee slap reference as well, I get it because, I mean, we're talking like three of Gargano's straight DIY super kick finishers in a row for two. And there were like there was more powerful kickouts. It wasn't as if he was just getting the kickout. He was proper throwing him in at the air at kickout. So I didn't get it. I didn't like it. 
Um, up next, we had Adam Cole, Baby, versus uh, the Velveteen Dream in a backlot brawl for the NXT title. So this is pre-recorded, so it won't be getting rated by Dave. I didn't like it very much, personally. Um, Cole pulls up in like a monster truck that's got an undisputed error over it. I mean, Dream being the big flashy guy that he is, pulls up in a lovely big yellow Lambo, big Lamborghini out there. Um, dressed as Negan from The Walking Dead, so the, it had its cool points to it, but just like the, the opening. So I, as it opened, I was like, yeah, this is going to be really good. But I just didn't like it. It was all very much just like punching and hitting. Like I did, There wasn't a lot of excitement in the match. I mean, Era kind of showed up when Dream was kind of closing in on a victory and cost him it. Adam Cole did get put through a windscreen on a car and cut all his arm to shit. And like, yeah. And then, yeah... They then unloaded all the chairs into the from the top of the monster truck into the ring eh, so that Cole could use them against Dream. Loomis made his appearance to put a stop to it. Some really weird thing with Dexter Loomis. He put them both in the trunk of the car and drove off with them so the era were gone. Now, I think if you want to talk excitement, this would have been a really good bit for like Kyle O'Reilly to make a big return here. Um, but unfortunately, that didn't happen. I really thought... Cause it was the whole if Dream loses the match, he doesn't get another title shot while Cole's the champion. I was like, yeah, that okay. So like he'll win this this time then, because they don't tend to pull the trigger on that very often. But um, it, I just I didn't enjoy it very much. Cole wins, he hits the uh, the destroyer on the the chair pile for the win. I just think it was a bit predictable and nothing very excited happened. I've given it a 3 out of 5 based on the fact you can see a lot of works went into it. And I can understand why other people would have enjoyed it. But for me, I don't think that I don't think it was better than the six-woman tag team match that started um, in terms of excitement or story. And it, I think it had more flaws. Um, up next, we've got Karrion Cross's first takeover match. And he's taking on... Um, Tommaso Ciampa so again I always have to do this the carrying cross entrance oh my Jesus that is an entrance like whoever came up with that is awesome this was a fast paced match so Ciampa starts with two big forearms with no effect big boot in the corner cross then just tosses him across the line Ciampa really looked from the first toss it looked like he landed on his leg pretty badly as if he maybe hurt it uh, the surgically repaired one, but Champa very quickly uh, tried to fight back, goes for the Willow's Bell, but Cross fights back. Um, Champa with a massive chest shirt chop and a big boot, but this just kind of <laughs> just looked Cross just straight up angry. He just looked pretty much pissed that he would do it. Uh, Cross grabs him and hits a Punjabi plunge onto the apron. Goes Champa, Cross then sends Champa back into the ring, another toss across the ring. Goes after this uh, surgically repaired neck, saying, um, how's that neck holding up? Hits him with another toss. Cross with knees. Um, uh, cross with knees in the corner with uh, Champa seated. Um, telling Champa to hit him, but uh, when he goes for the hit him, he hits a northern light suplex and rolls it through into a massive clothesline. Champa then does get one last kind of flurry. He tries to fight back with big chops and slaps. Enziguri in a massive knee. He then manages to hit him with the Willow's Bell for two. Uh, another big knee and another. Uh, out loud, just says, get up, motherfucker. 
uh, goes for the fairy tale ending, but gets caught in that um, awesome like standing F5 that he does. So he just throws them up. Doesn't like land the way Lesnar does. He just throws them and lets them land. And then he lifts them straight up and puts them into the straight back jacket. And Champa passes out for the cross victory. Now this was really enjoyable. And Carrying Cross is an absolute monster. I have not seen a dominating performance and against two big stars like this. I would say since Lesnar Cena at, um, at SummerSlam in 2014. It's been a while since I've I've seen a big star. Maybe Goldberg Lesnar almost, but this match was longer. So. Um, the match so quick paced, it was very exciting, um, which is all it needed to be. It was really excellently booked. Um, four and a four point uh, four out of five, sorry. And then we get the the main event. So this is the first time since NXT Takeover Respect in the Iron Woman match for Sasha Bailey that a women's match is main event and takeover. Um, so that's been almost five years. Like we're, we're five years since the the first time it happened and that's also the last time it happened so this triple threat match was remarkable so charlotte rolls out to start and kind of says eo and ripley to to go like you go uh, the crowd chants that she doesn't go here and she says that she made here and charlotte comes around to make cheap shots and roll out and then comes in to take more um and then beats both of our challengers down. So very fast pace from the start from all three. Charlotte says, this is my house. We better homage to Paige there, I think. But it was more disrespectful because it's Paige's house. Um, and then uses massive chops on the challenger. Ripley and EO beat down on Charlotte. And then real, uh, Ripley heads, headbutts EO and focuses on Flair. We go to the outside and Ripley crashes and burns into... Uh, the ground missing the senton and then is launched into the barricade by flair eel with the rana from the apron but then uh, sent into the post and then into ripley uh, flair i've just wrote here flair is the goat like honestly it, she just makes it all look so effortless yeah uh, i should say i'd say she's better than most of the men it's not even a sexist thing i just think she is maybe better than most of the men that do it ever um Flair and Eo go back into the ring and Eo's using her athleticism but gets caught in a Boston Crab. Eo fights out and Ripley drops Flair with massive knees and boots. Eo and Ripley um kinda Eo attacks Ripley and then hits a six one nine to Flair. Eo rolls through into the double stomp, followed by a drop kick for two. Ripley back in and Eo and Ripley knock each other out. Flair gets back into it with a massive double spear on both of them, but gets pins both of them for two. At this point, the, the fans are booing her, so she drags Ripley over to the corner. And before she drags uh, Shirai over, she does the DX chop, uh, which Maro pointly puts out. That's not very ladylike. Sets up her challenge for a moonsault, scales to the top, but Eo moves and Ripley raises her knees. Rolls up Eo and puts Flair into the uh, roll-ups, or kind of all three of them, but Eo then puts Flair into the cross place. Ripley makes the save, and Flair with a big boot uh, for two to Ripley. Flair misses natural selection and slams, uh, uh, and then Ripley slams Flair on her face, um, and Eo arrives with a big missile drop kick. Crowd are well behind Io Shirai for this as she hits the double knees uh, to Ripley and Flair. Uh, as she, I'm sorry, so I'll start again because we're all tongue-tied now. So Io hits the double knees to Ripley and as she's taunting, Flair comes from behind and hits the natural selection. 
which uh, Eel kicks out at, at two. I kind of thought it was over there and that that was it. Uh, Eel with surprise crucifix puts Flair um, down, but that's for two, and then Flair puts the figure four, looking for the figure eight, but Ripley makes a save. Massive brawl between the two at the outside. Eel then gets a... Uh, flies and takes out Ripley and Flair from behind. Since uh, Flair then, obviously they're all just brawling around about the kind of main set area. Flair then sends Eel through the window of the house set. Um, leaves her there and says that she's done. Ripley hits Flair with a, a plant pot and the brawl starts again. They're just slapping each other. Eel then a, a, appears from out of nowhere on the roof of the house of the set. And uh, massive crossbody to take them both out. Eel sends Flair back into the ring and kind of sets up for the moonsault. But uh, Ripley makes the save and Charlotte goes for the spear but Ripley sidesteps which sends her into the turnbuckles. Um, Rhea sets Eel up on top for a superplex but Eel blocks and then escapes through the legs and groggies up Ripley so that she can go up and hit Hurricane Rana off the top. But she gets caught in a powerbomb position. Uh, Charlotte hits a massive big boot as she's hanging down, which sends her to the outside. Ripley uh, with a kick to the face but to Charlotte, but Flair starts taking it to Ripley on the top rope. But Ripley hits the Riptide off the top, uh, off the top rope. Eel then makes the save and tries for her or tries for a roll up, but Ripley with the prism trap submission and Flair with the kendo stick to both women beats them both down. And at this point I was like, right, that's it done. She's literally just taken the kendo stick to both of them. And she then locks in the figure four into the figure eight on Ripley. And I was like, I can't believe Ripley's going to tap out twice. From out of nowhere, Io Shirai hits the moonsault off the top rope onto Ripley and picks up the victory. So we've got a new NXT Women's Champion in Io Shirai. Um, what a bloody match. Like, it was a massive celebration for her with, like, streamers and confetti. The match itself, from bell to bell, flawless. And by flawless, I mean it's happened. I kind of thought Edge and Orton might get it, but this is going to be the, the first one that I give. Five out of five, without doubt. There is no mistake about it. Um, the show as a whole was a nine and a half out of ten. Like that is what a takeover should be about. There is no in between on takeovers. That is how it should always be done. Um, like just from start to finish, there was nothing. I mean, yeah, it didn't it didn't come with. I feel like I would love to have given it a ten out of ten. But it did come with its flaws, just the same as any other kind of pay-per-view does. Like the backlot brawl match, it just wasn't very, it just wasn't very good. Um, but that was just fantastic. Now moving on, this is normally the part where I would go, "Hey, Raw, I'm going to talk about that." I am not going to talk about Raw because Raw was so shit. Raw was bad. Like I did not rate a single match over a two, so there is no match of the night. There is no good moment, other than the fact that awfully again, Charlotte beat Asuka, whether it be down to Nia Jax's interference. You've just put the belt on her, she's the new champion. What the fuck, WWE? That's all I'm going to say is, what the fuck? So, I'm not rating Raw. It was it was bad. It was awful. So, Raw didn't happen this week for Jack. It, did, it just didn't happen. So, NXT, 
Um, not NXT, sorry, we're going to do AEW first because that's what I've got written down first. So this week's AEW was fairly okay, actually. Kind of enjoyed it a little bit. Um, so we start the match with uh, The Butcher and The Blade versus FTR. Oh, for anyone who doesn't know, because I didn't make a podcast about it last week, The Revival have officially debuted on AEW called FTR. Uh, so that is good news. I'm quite enjoying that. So uh, Dax and Blade are in to start lockup, um, just as normal. And it, it, it goes back and forth. It's, it was a very, very, very good debuting match for FTR on AEW. Um, they had some good time on this one. Um, it, it went on for, for quite a bit. So I, I don't, didn't dislike the match. Didn't think it was the best match out there. I don't really rate this blade and all that. But they've uh, named their finisher the Shatter Machine. is now called the Goodnight Express. Um, uh, but the... The winners were obviously FTR. It was a great debut. I think that, um, I think that it, like they they still showed they were capable, but they didn't have everything quite there yet. Um, and it was a nice like shout out to Tully and Arn who were like watching in the crowd. So there, there was some good moments because I believe they used one of their finishers in there as well. Um, I I think the match was a three. I think it was a, a good opening, um, a good opening thing to start. Um, FTR call uh, this organisation the, the pinnacle of tag team wrestling. Before they can go too far, the Young Bucks come out and say that the match was great. They also bring up that they uh, bring up helping the Young Bucks out of a jam and introduce themselves. Call themselves the best tag team in AEW, and they say it's nice to meet FTR. But in come Butch and Blade to attack. Havoc and Kip show up. Omega and Page then show up, and Page has a glass of whiskey because he's the cowboy who drinks whiskey. Uh, backstage, the Natural Nightmares are informed that they will be facing Hangman and Omega. Brandy wants to talk about why Ali is wearing the Rhodes jacket. Um, she's clearly bothered by it. Dustin asks if QT knows what's at stake here. Dustin says Hangman can take his head off um, and that he needs QT in the game. Um, needs him with Dustin and that this could be them at Fighter Fest. And that they want to win the titles next week. Um, up next, it was Penelope Ford and Nyla Rose versus Chris Statlander and the new women's champion, Hikaru Shida. Um, so the heels just sort of attack the face from a jump go again. It's, this was also a very, very uh, back and forth match. Um, but uh, she, Penelope Ford really just very, very dirty in this. It is very good. We get like uh, Shida hits a falcon arrow to Ford. Um, towards the finish, but really, uh, this it was just too fast-paced this week on AEW. I don't have a lot of notes because it was so fast-paced and I was actually too busy watching it to, like, note anything, so I'm sorry that my notes aren't pure up to much, but um, Ford uses the, the, Penelope Ford uses the women's title and smashes uh, Sheeta in the face with it, hits the Northern Lights, pin for a three. So the winners of the match are Penelope Ford and Nyla Rose. It was actually a very well put together match considering it was just four people thrown together which is one thing I don't like about tag team matches when you just throw four people and I'm like yeah I know that those are the two single women's matches that happened to AEW but you still just threw together two teams. Um, I think it was a three again. I, I quite liked it um, and all of that. Uh, cut to back, we get a black and white video of Darby Allen and he's hanging out with the one and only Tony Hawk, which is pretty cool considering that uh, 
Tony Hawk, like he's pretty much the legend of skateboarding. I know Darby Allen loves his skateboarding. Um, GR then brings up uh, Britt Baker and her uh, rehab that she's having to do. We get a video package of her to see what she's been going through. Uh, up next, we get the Inner Circle versus the Best Friends and Orange Cassidy. So in this match, it was um, Santana, Ortiz, and uh, Guevara, I believe. Yep. Was it Guevara? I don't have a name written down here. What an absolute idiot. Hager. Sorry, it was Hager, I believe. Ah! ah. Yes, I believe it was Hager. That's what I'm going with, Jake Hager, because I've just wrote that, uh, and I know that it was Best Friends and Orange Cassidy. Um, again, this so another. This was kind of like the, the night of tag team matches because this was fantastic from start to finish. Um, like it was just awesome. Um, Orange Cassidy really showed why he's he's maybe like I don't like the gimmick, but when he actually wrestles, it's bloody fabulous to watch. Um, another fast-paced match, uh, but Orange Cassidy. Um, as a, they're looking for the, the street sweeper. A Chuck pushes Santana and Orange turns the hold into a pin. And they pick up a lucky win. So the best friends in Orange Cassidy pick up a lucky win. This was match of the night for me. It was a four. It was absolutely fantastic from start to finish. Uh, Jericho heads to the ring. He grabs Chuck and hits him in the belly with the bat. Um, and he gets one on Trent as well. Um, Hager holds up. Um... Jericho and Jericho with the bat to the head on Ortiz and he power, then power bombs Chuck. So he doesn't hit Ortiz in the head, he hits Chuck on the head who then power bombs Ortiz. Jericho, uh, Jericho then grabs a bag of oranges and Tony says it's got to be £20. Jericho grabs Orange Cassidy who's bleeding from the head. Jericho grabs the bag of oranges and hits Cassidy over the head with them. Um, so Jericho hits Orange Cassidy on the mat as he lays there bleeding. Jericho gets ready, swings, and Santana and Ortiz send Orange into the swing of Jericho. Um, Jericho, Blood Orange Cassidy has just been juiced. Oofed. Uh, Tony Schiavone's in the crown. He wants to ask Billy Gunn some questions, but in comes MGF, who has an undefeated streak forever. Um, and has the ring and Jungle Boy gets a shot. Um, everyone knows that no matter how good he is in the mic, um, how he gets over with the marks, there is a, a ceiling um, and that he's the great white shark swimming in the sea of minnows. Billy Gunn says that he is a great white. MJF says he's surprised he's not too busy trying to get one of his talentless sons in the company. Uh, so JR says that the rumours about Coke Cabana being offered a spot. Uh, we get Brody Lee try to recruit him last week, so this is in the Fallen Order, um, including an offerage of a water bottle. Uh, Sammy Guevara vs. Coke Cabana, so if I just scrolled down it would have definitely confirmed that it was not Sammy Guevara in the match, and it was Jake Hager in the tag match, but Guevara vs. Cabana, um, it was it was alright. Um, easy win for Sammy, really. I mean, the match itself, it did go for a bit, there was some good time given to it, but... It was always Sammy's to win, so um, he he gets the, the Torture Rock and hits the GTS, which is rather fitting that Colt Cabana's ex-best friend, CM Punk's finishing move, but Sammy gets the win. He then continues to get um, some, yet they like get some love, yet they make it believe. Um, and I, I never like kind of go, oh, his wins are unbelievable. He's extremely talented, um, and I don't like when they put it all over as if he's like, oh... 
Uh, the Dark Order then arrive. Uh, they stare down at Colt Cabana. Uh, in comes Lee. Uh, they head back through the tube. And Colt follows. So he it seems as if Colt Cabana is actually joining the, the Fallen Order. Um, Sammy wants his music to play because he believes that he, he's the best AEW has. The greatest. Uh, out comes Matt Hardy. He asks for the music to be cut. Sammy wants to know what his issue is. Matt says he has no issues and that he respects Sammy. He's a young Matt Hardy and Sammy, like he sees a young Matt Hardy. Uh, Sammy always gets back up after every hit. He respects that and that Sammy is the future. He then has some advice and that to realise his maximum potential, he must get away from Jericho. Um, Sammy says this man tried to kill him twice, which he did because he tried to run him over. Matt says he's an excellent driver. Sammy calls him a moron. Matt is dumb, stupid, broken. He then broke Matt. Matt calls him Samuel. He says he must step in the ring because these events must be documented. Matt calls for deletion. Sammy's confused. He bounces. Uh, Matt does his chomp. So the belief here is that Matt versus Sammy final deletion is going to be happening maybe. Uh, we go to Janela at a bar, wondering why he went from facing Moxley in the main event to fading in the darkness. He won maybe because he's not that good. Um, he wonders if his best moments are behind him. Somewhere along the line, the last six months or so, he'd lost his direction. He walks outside, and here comes Sunny in a convertible to pick him up and go shopping. Uh, backstage, which doesn't make sense because the shops aren't open. Uh, backstage, Dasha's trying to catch up with Cole. Uh, she does and wonders if he's if his losses brought him to the door of the Dark Order. He's hesitant to knock, but does so and then enters the door of Mr. Brody Lee. Moxley's just arrived in a, a knockoff Stone Cold shirt, because that's what it was. Says so he's in a real bad mood because he has no patience for people who run their mouth when they have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, that Taz has been talking all week and that he's gonna and that he's starting to get under the skin of Moxley. Um, he's gonna pop Cage's head like a pimple and that uh, John is one miserable son of a bitch. Is what he said. He says they think that uh, the fact that they think Cage can beat him pisses him off and Taz is one of the greatest trash talkers of all time. But in this case, um, and then here comes Taz. So he's sitting in his trailer and just hears Moxley chirping. He tells him to get out his head right because he's going to get put out which isn't English the way I've typed that. Cage then attacks from behind he's wearing um, so he's I don't get like he's just wearing nice clothes which was surprising because Brian Cage is I guess you only know it's like a, a main guy if he's wearing nice clothes isn't it? Sends Moxley into trash cans and lifts him um, and John shoves Brian into a red car uh, Moxley swings with a pipe, but Cage is down and John breaks a window. Um, Cage then sends Moxley into a fence, then Spinebuster on top of the red car, drags Moxley down to the trunk, sets up for a, a bomb, a power bomb. Taz tells him to stop, and then they sent, then that they'd sent the message. The message was done, but Cage isn't done. He body slams John Moxley into the black window of the car, and that is that. So up next is the standard what Cody's doing to establish the prestige of the title. TNT Championship's going to get defended every week. So he's taking on Mark Quinn from Private Party. Um, very, very technical match back and forth. This match was absolutely fabulous. Um, to be honest, fabulous. I don't know why I said that, but there you are. There you go. It was fabulous. Um, 
both men really put it all on the line on this. It was so fast-paced, and Mark Quinn is a real talent. He could easily be a good mid-card singles push kind of guy. Uh, he sets up Cody for the shooting star press at the end. Cody moves and uh, puts on the ankle lock immediately, and he uses the boot to, to push on the ankle, which Mark Quinn does then tap out to. So the winner was still the champions, uh, Cody Rhodes. It was a really solid affair that, um, that a guy like Mark Quinn, like a tag team wrestler, got a good spotlight. Uh, more than it ever gave Cody. So the, the, the attention was really on Mark Quinn here and not on Cody. Um, which is the reason why I enjoyed it. But um, even if like he won it or not, it, it still made him look good. So I gave this one three and a half. Um, Jake Hager comes out and like stares at Cody. Then surprisingly shoots towards Arn Anderson in the corner. Cody grabs him and Jake lifts Cody and slams him down twice. Uh, in comes Orange Cassidy and Hardy and Quinn. Or Cassidy... Uh, Cassidy, Hardy, and, I don't know if it's Orange Cassidy, it's not Orange Cassidy, sorry. Uh, in comes Cassidy and Hardy and Quinn, and they all toss cheers at Hagar and send him to the outside. Um, the rest of the inner circle come out and then they, they attack the, the faces of the ring. Um, Quinn hops on people, someone's shoulders, everyone's attacking everyone, it was very men mental and all the refs come out. Uh, Hardy continues to attack Sammy, hitting him with a twist of fate, and a circle rolls to the outside um, as the heels stand tall as the show ends. So this inner circle versus the elite thing is still going to be ongoing. I think we're going to see some mixed matches coming up shortly about it. Uh, I think this was a good show. I gave it an 8 out of 10 this week. Um, starting now with NXT, and I'm just going to tell you at one point, I am just going to say claimed it, but we'll leave that for now as it is. So, uh, NXT starts, uh, Era walk out to start the show, Cole brags about retaining the title and saying Velveteen was true, but he's no Adam Cole, baby. Uh, what's next for Cole? He says it doesn't matter because he's run roughshod and is the most dominant champion in the brand's history. Nobody can beat him. Uh, they then turn to focus on his match for tonight against Dexter Loomis. Roger Strong hilariously says that everyone knows he hates being locked in trunks. Um, Cole and Fish look at him with confusion. Roddy spots Dexter in the crowd and points him out to the rest of the era, but he's gone. He does this twice, clearly unhinged. Cole faces Dexter in the main event, as I've said. So backstage, Cole and Fish try to calm Roddy, so Roddy's clearly freaked out by Loomis completely. Uh, Keith Lee and Mia Yim come up. Lee looks at the NXT title and says he's an idea for what's next for him. So uh, up next, uh, leading into the match, is Lorraine Gargano, the Garganos versus Lee and Yim. Um, this was an okay match. Um, I had a good bit of time on it. I think it was about just over 10 minutes or so on here. Um, uh, Lorraine and Gargano do get the win. This was, again, such like a, a fast-paced match. Um, but Lee did pounce Johnny into Candice, which knocks Mia to the outside, and that's that's kind of how the match is lost because Lee gets too focused on. Um, Lee gets a bit more focused on uh, Mia because obviously he accidentally hurt her. Uh, I think the match was good. I gave it a three and a half on this one. Um, Priest, we got an interview with Priest after the match. Said he doesn't regret doing anything. He's still on the way to becoming infamous. Uh, Cameron Grimes is interviewed about facing Balor tonight. He is confident that he will move 2-0 against Finn. He disses Priest for all the all like the loss and games and all that, but Damien comes up to him. Grimes quickly says that Priest almost had him and starts lying, so Priest knocks him out with a forearm. 
Uh, and next week we are set to have um, Io Shirai will return next week. Um, I've not rated the next match. I've decided I'm not going to rate squash matches because that's what they are. They're squashes, so they're, they're not worth a rating. But we have the return of this uh, tag team, Indus Share versus Mike Reed and Mikey Delbury. So the Indus Share versus the Mikey Boys is what I've decided to call them here. Um, it was a big boot, and then they hit their leg drop side slam finisher. That's all I've got. It, it was That's what it was. Um, backstage, Drake, I need to make sure I say this right, Wurets spoke with William Regal via FaceTime. Apparently Grimes says he has a broken jaw and can't compete tonight. Regal doesn't believe it and wants to go see him. Uh, return from the break, Grimes is hitting on some girls. He says that Priest didn't even hit him that hard. Uh, Drake finally got him to pay attention and notice Regal, um, who called him on that BS. The match is on. Uh, vignette runs to hype up Breeze Angle before their NXT tag team title match next week. We take time to recap the cross Champa match and that um, a frustrated Champa leaves the performance center hours after the show and ignores all questions. Uh, Rhea Ripley was also interviewed after another disappointing moment at TakeOver. She gave her all and slightly applauded Eo for taking advantage of the opportunity. Um, this shelved Robert Stone shows up and says that they are both losers in 2020. Together they could rise from the ashes um, and they'll do everything for her to, for making calls to get in a match. As Rhea says, the chances of her being part of his brand are one in a million. He plays dumb and dumber and says, so you're saying that there's a chance. So she body slams him into the garbage. Up next we have uh, Balor and Grimes. So Balor's looking to get rematch, like revenge for the last time they went one-on-one -on -one. Um, he's very aggressive from the start and takes it to him um, Balor uh, starts in with like a final cut at one point uh, but re uh, reverses into the 1916 for two uh, this time Finn connects with the coup de grace and adds the 1916 to the win so Grimes actually got a good moment there we kicked out a 1916 but then couldn't kick out of both finishers uh, I think the match was alright I give it a a two and a half. I didn't think it. I didn't think it was great. I don't think it, it's nothing against Balor and Grimes. I just didn't like this match too much, as much as I, I maybe would have liked to. Uh, Balor then comes up to the camera saying that he's won a lot of titles, but he's never taken the North American title. He's never ch challenged for it, as far as I'm aware, either. So he tells Keith Lee to pay attention. So maybe take over Boston. We're going to be looking at, um, or take over SummerSlam. I should be calling it for now. Um, we're maybe going to see Lee and Balor, which could be. I know, good match as well. Uh, I didn't rate the next match because it's another squash. It was Dakota Kai versus Katesy Catanzaro. Um, that's all it was. She had sort of like a scorpion kick. They kind of fired back at each other but it was a squash. And Dakota tells Kai that she's coming for the women's championship. Uh, and as her and Gonzalez attack Casey, Caden Carter runs out and trips Dakota, she's Casey's roommate and partner and all that stuff, so she's used to her speed. Um, but uh, ultimately, they both get beaten up by Dakota Kai anyway. Uh, a video airs of random guys like entering the ring to attend that uh, Thatcher's Thatch Can thing. It's called. It's really strange. So it's a uh, Timothy Thatcher featuring people his style of wrestling. It happens next week. Uh, they all after they all sign their waivers and stuff. Uh, the current NXT 
cruiserweight champion Phantasma is brought out to do his promo. As soon as he basically starts speaking, Maverick comes out clapping for him and says that he knows that he can beat him. And that aim, but that is it. But uh, uh, Phantasma agrees to give him a title shot and the masked men come out again. So this is the golden masked men. And this is where I'm going to say it. I'm going to say I absolutely bloody claimed it. Claimed it from the moment that they couldn't grab Phantasma. That this was going to be him. Right? I am I am good. And then uh, Phantasma turns to Maverick as the two guys surround and uh, headbutts him. Uh, three masked men attack Drake and stomp on him. Phantasma then makes um, them remove their mask, revealing uh, a guy called Wackwin Wild and Raul Mendoza. Uh, they had a phantom driver on Drake, and Phantasma removes his mask as well, and he calls himself Santos Escobar, and says that nobody can touch him. So he's actually a heel now. Uh, backstage, Strong is still freaking out because um, he finds a drawing made by Loomis in their locker room. Cole tells him to chill out because they've taken out every threat before. Fish and Cole leave while Loomis pops up watching Strong creepily. Strong then runs away. So next week, so this is this is weird. So the match hasn't been yet announced for Backlash, but it basically is going to happen. So it says, next week, Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox get a women's tag team title shot against whoever is the champions after the match at Backlash. So there is going to be a tag team title match at Backlash. Whether or not it's a triple threat or if they're going to throw in a fourth team surprisingly for a fatal four-way, I'm predicting it's going to be a triple threat match between Bailey, Sasha, Bliss Cross and the Iconics, which hopefully, for the love of God, the Iconics win. Uh, Adam Cole versus Dexter Loomis. I didn't really like this match to be honest it was very boring to start and um kind of the the era obviously do what the era do best and distract Loomis at the end for a cold victory but it doesn't really do anything I was more focused on what happened after the match the match itself I gave a two um I don't think it was particularly great I don't think NXT was as good as AEW this week based on the kind of stuff but NXT's stories are more progressive in my eyes than now uh, so the era, um, so the two, so Fish and Roddy leave, and Colt says he's going to stay behind a bit more. He talks some more trash to Loomis. He leans over him, shows off the tail. Loomis pops up and puts him in the Anaconda vice, which Fish and Strong come back to stomp on him to break it. Velveteen Dream arrives and sends Strong into the steel steps before sending Fish into the plexiglass. Uh, Loomis then chases Strong off. Cole is left alone in the ring and he holds the title high. The lights dim and Cole is confused. Scarlet appears on the stage. The crowd chants "Fall and Pray," which is obviously carrying Cross's um, catchphrase, I suppose. As she walks towards the ring, she pulls out an hourglass, turns it over, and leaves it in the ring. And as we go off the air, the crowd are chanting "Tick Tock." So this is fantastic. I could not be more happier about this. So it looks like, I mean, we are talking, I know Karrion Cross is a big deal, but I didn't think he was going to get like one takeover and then straight into the title match. And if anyone's going to take the title right now from Adam Cole, so because I firmly believe that we are going to see the era on Raw and SmackDown very soon, like after SummerSlam soon, Cross is going to take the title from Adam Cole, baby. Definitely, 100%.
So this is obviously setting in a wee, a wee th I don't know if it's just a reminder to say that Cross is here. I hope it's not that. I hope it's them actually going, no, this is going to be our match at some uh, takeover before SummerSlam. Cross versus Cole for the title. That That's something to look forward to. Um, the whole show, I've given it a, a 7 out of 10. I don't think it was that good. AEW was better, dramatically. I think that's why I gave it a... I think I said 8 for AEW. I meant 8.5, to be honest. But I'd say the show that stole the week was uh, In Your House. If anyone's not seen TakeOver In Your House, go and watch it from start to finish. It's fantastic. Other than Just like any show, it's got some negatives, but it's still fantastic. So, that is my podcast for another week. And I will be doing a special one tomorrow where I'm going to rate uh, SmackDown and Raw. Uh, not SmackDown and Raw, SmackDown, and we'll be doing some predictions for Backlash as the league continues on. Who will walk out of this Sunday? The winner of the predictions battle. Me, definitely. Claiming it right now. See you next time. <laughs>